I want to thank the worship team so much, the youth worship team for leading us. Uh, they did such a great job, didn't they? Yeah. So we've been in a series this fall, if you're brand new with us. Uh, we've been in a series looking at this idea, no perfect people allowed. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we have this idea that there's like this, this thing we have to reach or how much is enough as it comes to, you know, pleasing God and having enough faith or, or being good enough and, and all these things or being gifted enough. And, and we just feel like we don't measure up. And the church is a place where there's no perfect people allowed. And uh, what we've been looking at in this series is what happens when the inadequacy of us bumps up against the adequacy or the ability of our awesome and powerful and amazing God. So last message, uh, we looked at uh, the idea that often as humans, there's kind of this human tendency, we have this tendency to uh, name ourselves, right? We give ourselves names and often this is based on uh, something we did in the past, a failure of our past. And sometimes we name ourselves based on inadequacies we perceive about ourselves, but both of those actually project into our future, and this is, a, this is a problem. When we name ourselves based on our failure of the past or inadequacies we see in our present, this is a problem because God loves to use people to do some of his best work. God loves to use people to do some of his best work. And the reason naming ourselves or labeling ourselves is so problematic is because along the way in our faith, if you're not a person of faith yet, um, you probably will experience this if you continue in your faith. But along the way of faith, God comes along and he, he challenges us and he calls us and he stretches us beyond where we think we can. And in those moments, we go back to the name we've given ourselves about our past failures or our current inadequacies and it keeps us from stepping into the very thing that God wants to do in us and through us. And so naming ourselves is bad because God loves to use people to do some of his best work. And we saw this play out in the story of Gideon, who was a judge who lived in ancient Israel. And, and we come across Gideon in, in the story uh, in Judges chapter six, where uh, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, which is, you know, uh, he's hiding out because the Midianites were this other nation from across the Jordan River, and they kept coming to ravage the land. And so here he is hiding out and threshing wheat in this wine press, and God comes to him, he watches him, we don't know how long, but he watches him, and then he says to him, mighty warrior, and he names Gideon, and Gideon's like, I don't think I'm that mighty or that much of a warrior, and all of us reading the story, like, I don't think he's much of a, a warrior, and he's not all that mighty, right? And Gideon names himself, he's like, I'm nothing, I don't have the power, all these things, but God comes along and says, I name you, and God isn't just, you know, just you know, doing something to be silly or like, I'm gonna prop up this guy so maybe he'll step in. God is actually projecting on uh, Gideon a truth that Gideon doesn't see and it's the truth of who Gideon is through the lens of God himself. And God's saying, hey, through me, you're a mighty warrior. I know you don't feel that mighty. You're more of a flight than a fight guy. But through me, you can do big things. And then God calls them to the big thing, right? And you remember from last message, God said, hey, I am calling you to save Israel from the hand of Midian, right? This big, big ask. And Gideon's like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. Now we would imagine 
After God has made this big ask and he's declared over Gideon, hey, you are a mighty warrior. See yourself as I see you through the lens of me and my power. We'd imagine the next thing to happen would be that Gideon would step into the big ask, what God has asked him to do, but it's not what happens next in the story. You've probably heard in sport, there's this saying that says, you're not in trouble until you lose at home. This is often in playoffs. We just came through the World Series, seven-game series, or in the NHL or NBA, there's seven-game series in the playoffs. And coaches will always say this, players will always say this, well, we're not in trouble until we lose at home. And the idea is this, if you have home court advantage or home ice advantage, uh, if you just win all your home games, you win the series in seven games, right? Because as as long as you don't lose at home, you're fine. But also true for the team that doesn't have home court advantage, they only get three games at home, but they'll say the same thing, and here's why. Because if they just win all their home games, It will go to a seventh game and everyone knows anything can happen in game seven, right? So it's like, we just got to stay alive and we're not in trouble until we lose at home. And as we continue in the story of Gideon, we're going to find this to be true as well. As God looks at us and what God calls us to, you're not in trouble until you lose at home. But at home is often where the battle is won or lost. So to sum up the story again, God comes to Gideon who's hiding out. He says, hey, you're a mighty warrior and I call you to this big thing, this big thing. And, and, and we'd expect the next thing, Gideon steps into the big ask, but it's not what happens next. When God asks him to step into this big thing to, take, uh, to go against the Midianites, Gideon does what many of us do when God calls us beyond where we're comfortable. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we get there, God Are you with me? Here's how he says it. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me, right? Give me a sign because you're calling me and this is a question we all have. God, if I step out for you, am I gonna fall on my face? Do you really have my back? If I step out, are you gonna catch me? This is a question of faith. Whenever God stretches us beyond where we're comfortable where we know I don't got this, We ask this question, this is what Gideon, like, give me a sign. I want to know, because if I step out, the Midianites are really strong. I want to know that you have my back. Please do not go, he continues, please do not go until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon's plan to find out if God's really got his back is to bring God this offering and what God does with this offering or the angel of the Lord or whoever it is he's talking to, what he does will determine if, if one, Gideon has found favor in his eyes and two, that he's got his back. So Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Now, he's not making like a meal for like one guy. He's making a meal for like a big part. Like he killed an entire goat and an ephah of flour. An ephah of flour was like 35 to 45 pounds of flour. So he's making a ton of bread, right? He's just, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth. So now we have you know, all this bread that's soaking wet with broth and, and the, the goat that's soaking wet. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And immediately, immediately, Gideon knew that both he had found favor with God and God was actually the one who had shown up. 
Because along the way, I'm sure he's like, well, there's this guy that just showed up. Is it actually the Lord? And when he saw that this messenger received the offering, he realized, I have actually found favor and actually this is a messenger, a representative of God himself. I'm taken care of. And he responded this way. When Gideon realized that was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, at last, or alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face and he's terrified because the Jews had this belief, if you came face to face with God, you could not do that and live, right? So he's like, I'm gonna die. But the Lord said to him, and this is interesting because the Lord just disappeared and now the Lord shows back up. It's very fast. Peace, There's such an important word. Peace, do not be afraid. You are not gonna die. And that word was so important that Gideon does this. Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. And today, to this day, it stands in offer of that bee's rights. He built an altar declaring the word that God had spoken to him and that word is peace. Because here's the deal. When God calls you beyond where you're comfortable, when God calls us to stretch us, Gideon would experience this and you and I experience this. We are tempted to anxiety and fear. Every time we are tempted to see the, the, the size of the call, the size of what's in front of us, rather than to put our eyes on the size of our God. And so he knew this was gonna be a challenge. And so when God spoke that word peace, he built an altar as a reminder that God is peace. And maybe you need an altar, a physical something in your life that reminds you God is a God of peace. Because here's the thing. Some of us have this idea about God, you know, that God calls us to big things, that God stretches us. And maybe it's not big to someone else, but it's big to you. Whatever God calls you to, it's big for you. And it's like the stretching thing that God calls us because the Christian life is like this perpetual life of anxiety and fear, right? And God just wants to keep you anxious and fearful. But God does not call you beyond. God does not call you to things that are beyond you and stretching to keep you anxious. The reason he calls you is so that you will put your trust in him, that you will shift your eyes from the size of the calling, shift your eyes to the size of your God. And when you do, you receive what Gideon just received and that's peace. And he knew he would need this reminder. So here's Gideon, he's, he's hiding out, threshing wheat. God shows up and says, I name you, you're a mighty warrior. I don't know if I'm a mighty warrior. And then he's like, prove to me that you're with me because if I step out, are you gonna be there? And God proves to him, I'm there. And we'd expect the next thing to happen would be Gideon would step out. He would step into the big ask. But as I said earlier, you're not in trouble until you lose at home. And what happens next is Gideon does not step into the big ask of God. Because he just asked God, God, are you with me? And now God is gonna say, yeah, I'm with you, but I have something I want to know about you. And there's some things I want you to deal with before you're uh, able to step into the big thing. And it has to do with home. Here's what the Lord did. That same night, the Lord said, the same night, right? He just showed up, I'm here, I'm with you. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So you maybe have heard of the, the big 10, you know, the big 10 commandments. The very first one, if you learned it like the old school version is thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not have other gods 
before me. This is the very first command that big, of the Big Ten that God had given to the people. He said, don't have other gods other than me. And obviously the nation of Israel, or at the very least, Gideon and his family have struggled to follow the very first command of the Big Ten. They've been worshiping other gods. In this case, they were worshiping Baal. Baal was the god of, of the sun, the god of uh, fertility, uh, the god of the storm. This was Baal. They were worshiping Baal. They were also worshiping Asherah or Ashtoreth, who was uh, the goddess of the moons. We have the sun god and the goddess of the moon and the goddess of love and war. They were worshiping these gods. And, 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 and uh, God comes to him and says, hey, before you step into the big ask, I want you to go deal with something at home. There's some stuff in your home, in your sphere of influence that's not right, and it needs to be dealt with. And he says, I want you to take the bull that's seven years old, very likely this was a bull that had been raised to one day, had been groomed for seven, seven years, to one day be sacrificed to Baal. He says, I want you to do this. And then I want you to build a proper, a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. See, they built all their altars on high places. That was closer to the gods, right? They built it on high place. I want you to build a proper altar with this bull and this Asherah pole. And this is interesting. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. And I think this shows us God's sense of humor. God is kind of cheeky, right? Hey, what you've been using, what you've been saving up to worship this other God, we're gonna completely undo that. And you're gonna use the thing that was gonna be used for that to worship and honor me, Right? The very wood, the same bowl, everything's gonna be the same. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. And at this point in the story, we'd be tempted to say, man, Gideon's really turned the corner, hasn't he? I mean, he started kind of fearful. He started like, I'm not that mighty of a warrior, but God showed up and said, hey, you are, and I'm with you, I've got your back. And now God comes to him and says, hey, there's this little thing. Compared to defeating the Midianites, this little thing I want you to deal with. He's like, he just does it. I mean, he's really turned the corner, right? Not exactly. But because he was afraid, afraid of his family, and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. I think this is an interesting aspect of Gideon's life that I think is often true of us. And I think sometimes we beat ourselves up for it and we don't have to. Gideon's obedience is this fumbling, stumbling kind of obedience. You know, we're in a no perfect people allowed. And sometimes we think, you know, the thing God calls me to, I have to step into it perfectly. You know, when God calls me out of an addiction, I just have to do it perfectly. <laughs> and God shows us in the story, he, he, he obeys, but it's this fumbling, stumbling kind of obedience. And he's afraid and his fear is kind of winning out. And he does it all at night. Well, in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. This people of the town found this out, and I, I mentioned this last message. Gideon and his family were a significant group of people in their community. This wasn't just a family altar to Baal and Asherah pole. This was uh, apparently the place where the townspeople, the community, the county all came to, to worship Baal. He, he, he was like the, the cult leader in that area. Gideon's father. He was a significant, significant per person. Well, when they found out, they asked each other, 
Who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And here's what we learn from scripture. A secret with 10 servants is no secret at all. (laughs) That's why you never, he should have never pulled the servants along, right? If you're gonna follow God, do it alone. Never bring other, because people might find out. So he, he goes on. And the people of the town demanded of Joash, Gideon's father, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. And here's something we learn about Gideon and his situation. And it's true of you and your situation. See, most of us, if we step into the thing God calls us to, I know today is the international day of prayer for the persecuted church. Most of us aren't going to die to step into the thing that God has called us to. But what's true of their situation is true of us. It's true of your school. It's true of your friend group. It's true of your family, your marriage. It's true of the workplace that you're in. When you choose to step out, the same response will be this response. And that is, don't mess with the status quo. There is a way we do things. There's a way we do things in a family. And now you want to change that? There's a way we do things in our friend group. Now you're going to step out and say, I'm better than that? There's a way. And the moment you stand up and you step out for God, there will be this resistance. Because there's a thing among us, and even in our church, whenever there's a group of people, it's don't mess with the status quo. Well, Joash replied, Gideon's father, to the hostile crowd around him, are you gonna plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save Baal? Who's God here, right? Who, who do you think has the power? He goes on, whoever fights for him, that's Baal, shall be put to death by morning. He's an influential guy. If Baal really is God, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. Are you trying to stand up for the God that you worship? I mean, are are you more powerful than him? If he's really a God, let him deal with what Gideon has done. And then the town responds this way. Because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. Jerubbaal means let Baal contend with him. And this is what's interesting. In one chapter in the story of Gideon, Gideon has named himself. I'm nothing. I don't have a Billy. I don't have the. Gideon has named himself. His friends, his townspeople have named him and God has named him. And now this is true of our stories as well. Along the journey of your life, there's going to be times and probably there's been times where you've named you and some of your friends or your sphere has named you And along the way, God has named you as well. And the question is, who are you gonna believe? Which name are you gonna believe as they name you? So God calls Gideon out. He said, I got this big ask. I want you to defeat Midian. But before he sends Gideon out to Midian, he says, you're not in trouble until you lose at home. And Gideon, you're in trouble right now. Because your home court is not an advantage. Your own home, your inner space, your inner life is a problem. And you know this because you just watch celebrities in our world today, whether it's musicians or actors or pastors, you can win out there, but what will bring you down is your inner life. 
When there's an addiction you haven't dealt with, when there's a power grab that you haven't dealt with, when there's a moral thing that you haven't dealt with, it doesn't matter how much you win, it will bring you down. What happens in home, what happens in your inner life when nobody's watching, when nobody knows, determines your success. See, along the way, Gideon said to God, hey God, are you with me? But here's something God does to each of us. We ask him, are you with me? He says, of course I'm with you. I don't call you to things. I'm not gonna step in with you. But here's the deal. We often want God to prove he's with us. God though wants us to show that we are with him. And as God calls us to the big things, he often says, before you can be entrusted with the big things, can you be trusted with the small things? Because if you can't be trusted with the small things, I can't trust you with the big things. And so God comes to Gideon and says, before we ever deal with Midian, we need to deal with you. See, success in the big things is determined by obedience in the small. And I'm saying what we think as big and small. See, because God has actually reversed it. The small things, according to him, have become very, very big. The small things, the things that we think of are, uh, are inconsequential, God says those are of great consequence. Those are of great consequence. So I have kind of two questions I, wanna, I want you to wrestle with this morning from the story of Gideon as it relates to our home. If God came to you today as he did to Gideon in, a, in an angel or a person, he said, hey, I've got something for you. You're like, wow, that's big. But then he said, before we get to that thing out there, there's something in your home life. There's something in your inner life that I want you to tear down. And for Gideon, it was an idol. Now, we don't think of idols maybe the same way they did in ancient worlds. It's not like you got this, this image, this idol that you kind of bow down every morning, but you have some idols, the way we have idols is we put things that should be the place of God. Our security, money can be an idol. The desire for success can become an idol that we chase and it takes the place of God in our life. Pleasure can become an idol that we chase that takes the position that God ought to have in our life. Is there something in your life that has taken the place of God? God says, before we can deal out there it's time for you to deal in here. There's an idol or something that needs to be torn down. Maybe for you, it's an attitude that needs to be torn out of your life. An attitude of ungratefulness, an attitude of bitterness towards someone, an attitude of, uh, uh, of um, looking down on others, judgmentalism. Maybe it's an action, a habit, an addiction. And God's saying, hey, before we deal with out there, I have something that's smaller, but it will destroy you if you don't deal with it. The second part of this question is looking at it from the other angle. Is there something that God is desiring for you to step into that you've refused to step into? Something that you need to add. Maybe it's a new habit. And you've been going along life and it's like, I just kind of have control of my life and life is good, but I never take a second to think about God. 
And God's been, you know, you know what God's been saying. He was like, man, you need to, you need to step into prayer. You're not, you're not conversing with me. You need to step into reading some scripture every morning or every night or, or spending time with living out of the central place of who you are in me rather than just living out of your own strength. You know, God's been prompting you in this. And if God came to you and said, I've got something for you, but there's something at home I want you to deal with. What, does, what would God be saying? You need to tear this out or you need to add this. What would God be saying to you? But he, here's the deal. As you ponder that, as you consider that, dealing with the small, seemingly inconsequential things can still be very scary for us. And it was scary for Gideon, wasn't it? He was afraid and good reason, right? Because the moment he stepped out, they wanted to kill him. You don't mess with the status quo. The moment you step out, it's scary. Because if you step out and say, hey, I'm gonna deal with this addiction, guess what? People in your home are gonna know. And just like they named Gideon, some people might label you and it's like, do I really wanna step out and deal with what's going on? The moment you step out in your friend group or you step out in your workplace and you step into what God is calling, people are gonna say, what, Bible thumper? Are you, all of a sudden you think you're better than us? Oh, you're not following us and doing this with us anymore? The moment you step out, there's gonna be this this push against. And it can be scary. It can be really, really scary to step out. And sometimes we just pull back. Another reason sometimes we pull back from stepping out is because we think, well, what if I step into obedience but I don't do it perfectly, right? What if there's that thing, I, that vice in my life or a new attitude I wanna engage in? Or what if there's that thing I wanna step into with my friend group to say, hey, I think God wants this for us. But what if I don't do it perfectly? What if I kind of stumble and fumble along? You just know wanna say, effort as it relates to obedience is always more important than success. Effort, not in your relationship to God in the sense of gaining salvation. You cannot earn salvation. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about effort in in regards to the things that God has called you to, to step into obedience, to step into forgiveness rather than bitterness, to step into freedom rather than addiction, to step into a new attitude. It is always more important to have effort and to have a plan and to step into it even if we fumble and stumble along. And we see this in Gideon. He didn't do it perfect, right? He was still afraid. He still had his fear. And yet he stumbled and fumbled into obedience. And God, guess what? In our imperfection of of living in obedience perfectly, God steps up and makes the difference anyways. I'll give you an example from sport. I've been coaching uh, junior high B girls volleyball for a lot of years. And this fall, I coached junior B girls volleyball again. And uh, one of the things about if you've ever watched or been involved in junior B girls volleyball, um, there's a temptation in a junior B girls volleyball game to make it more like ping pong than volleyball, right? It's like hot potato, get the ball to the other side. And you know what? If you do, there's like usually like an 80 to 95% chance you win the game because they make more mistakes than they don't make, right? So it's like in junior B girls volleyball, it's just like get the ball to the other side. Well, as a coach, I have this kind of long-term dream and vision for, for our girls because I realized that might work really good to win the game in junior B girls, but by junior A girls and then into senior high, you just get crushed if you do that, right? You just can't put the ball on the other side like free balls all the time. And so right from the beginning, I just, I just tell the girls, hey, girls, 
Three hits all the time. We pass, we set, and we hit. We pass, we set, and we hit. Well, early on into the season, I've just been preaching this, you know, pass, set, hit, and the girls did it. There was this amazing play. The serve came over, and the girl passed it. It was just like perfect pass to the setter. Setter got under the ball, pushed it out to power. It was just perfect set. And then our, our, our hitter just jumped up and just crushed the ball into the net, and it landed on our side, and we lost the point. And the girls were just like devastated, like, oh, we lost the point. Next time, just get, like, you could just see it, the wheels turn, like, just get the ball to the other side, right? And as a coach, I was the only one in the gym, I just started cheering, like, really, like, perfect girls, that is exactly what I was, just, like, cheering them on. They're like, Coach Elvin's lost it, like, we just lost the point, right? But here's what I tell the girls in development all the time, and this is true of boys, this is true of all of our development, and I think this is true of our development in our spiritual faith. We are so consumed with outcomes, and I tell the girls all the time, don't worry about the outcome. I want, you to, I want you to think about and concentrate on the process. So you're trying to do, learn an approach. Don't worry if you completely miss the ball and it's embarrassing. You did your approach right. Outcomes will take care of themselves. And if you just focus on the process, the outcomes will eventually work themselves out. And I think this is true of God in our obedience. So we can get so focused on the on the outcomes, like, man, if I step into obedience, what if I just don't do it right? Or what if I just kind of mess up? Or what if, you know, I'm trying to step out of, you know, tear down the idol in my life and I just kind of fumble and stumble along? And God says, no, no, don't worry about the success. Be concerned about the process. I've called you into obedience. Step into obedience. Yes, you may fumble and stumble your way through, but don't worry about the outcomes. They'll take care of themselves. Would you be obedient? Would you simply step in to the process? See, success, success in the big things is determined by our obedience, even our fumbling and stumbling along obedience in the small things. The small things have just become big. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.